0: Section 7 of the Complete Works of Friedrich Nietzsche, Volume 3. This Librevox recording is in the public domain. Fourth Lecture Delivered on the 5th of March, 1872 Ladies and gentlemen, now that you have followed my tale up to this point, And that we have made ourselves joint masters of the solitary remote and at times abusive duologue of the philosopher and his companion i sincerely hope that you like strong swimmers are ready to proceed on the second half of our journey especially as i can promise you that a few other marionettes will appear in the puppet play of my adventure and that if up to the present you have only been able to do little more than endure what i have been telling you the waves of my story will now bear you more quickly and easily towards the end in other words we have now come to a turning and it would be advisable for us to take a short glance backwards to see what we think we have gained from such a varied conversation remain in your present position the philosopher seemed to say to his companion for you may cherish hopes it is more and more clearly evident that we have no educational institutions at all but that we ought to have them our public schools established it would seem for this high object have either become the nurseries of a reprehensible culture which repels the true culture with profound hatred that is a true aristocratic culture founded upon a few carefully chosen minds or they foster a micrological and sterile learning, which, while it is far removed from culture, has at least this merit that it avoids that reprehensible culture as well as the true culture. The philosopher had particularly drawn his companion's attention to the strange corruption which must have entered into the heart of culture when the state thought itself capable of tyrannizing over it and of attaining its ends through it, and further when the state in conjunction with this culture struggled against other hostile forces as well as against the spirit which the philosopher ventured to call the true german spirit this spirit linked to the greeks by the noblest ties and shown by its past history to have been steadfast and courageous pure and lofty in its aims its faculties qualifying it for the high task of freeing modern man from the curse of modernity this spirit is condemned to live apart banished from its inheritance but when its slow painful tones of woe resound through the desert of the present then the overladen and gaily decked caravan of culture is pulled up short horror-stricken we must not only astonish but terrify such was the philosopher's opinion not to fly shamefully away but to take the offensive was his advice But he especially counseled his companion not to ponder too anxiously over the individual from whom, through a higher instinct, this aversion for the present barbarism proceeded. Let it perish. The Pythian god had no difficulty in finding a new tripod, a second Pythia, so long at least as the misty cold vapors rose from the earth. The philosopher once more began to speak be careful to remember my friend said he there are two things you must not confuse a man must learn a great deal that he may live and take part in the struggle for existence but everything that he as an individual learns and does with this end in view has nothing whatever to do with culture this latter only takes its beginning in a sphere that lies far above the world of necessity indigence and struggle for existence The question now is to what extent a man values his ego in comparison with other egos how much of his strength he uses up in the endeavour to earn his living many a one by stoically confining his needs within a narrow compass will shortly and easily reach the sphere in which he may forget and as it were shake off his ego so that he can enjoy perpetual youth in a solar system of timeless and impersonal things another widens the scope and needs of his ego as much as possible and builds the mausoleum of this ego in vast proportions as if he were prepared to fight and conquer that terrible adversary time in this instinct also we may see a longing for immortality wealth and power wisdom presence of mind eloquence a flourishing outward aspect a renowned name all these are merely turned into the means by which An insatiable personal will to live craves for new life with which again it hankers after an eternity that is at last seen to be illusory but even in this highest form of the ego in the enhanced needs of such a distended and as it were collective individual true culture is never touched upon and if for example art is sought after only its disseminating and stimulating actions come into prominence that is those which least give rise to pure and noble art and most of all to low and degraded forms of it for in all his efforts however great and exceptional they seem to the onlooker he never succeeds in freeing himself from his own hankering and restless personality that illuminated ethereal sphere where one may contemplate without the obstruction of one's own personality continually recedes from him and thus let him learn, travel, and collect as he may, he must always live an exiled life at a remote distance from a higher life and from true culture. For a true culture would scorn to contaminate itself with the needy and covetous individual, it well knows how to give the slip to the man who would fain employ it as a means of attaining to egoistic ends. And if any one cherishes the belief that he has firmly secured it as a means of livelihood and that he can procure the necessities of life by its sedulous cultivation then it suddenly steals away with noiseless steps and an air of derisive mockery i will thus ask you my friend not to confound this culture this sensitive fastidious ethereal goddess with that useful maid of all work which is also called culture but which is only the intellectual servant and counsellor of one's practical necessities wants and means of livelihood every kind of training however which holds out the prospect of breadwinning as its end and aim is not a training for culture as we understand the word but merely a collection of precepts and directions to show how in the struggle for existence a man may preserve and protect his own person it may be freely admitted that for the great majority of men such a course of instruction is of the highest importance and the more arduous the struggle is the more intensely must the young man strain every nerve to utilize his strength to the best advantage but let no one think for a moment that the schools which urge him on to this struggle and prepare him for it are in any way seriously to be considered as establishments of culture they are institutions which teach one how to take part in the battle of life whether they promise to turn out civil servants or merchants or officers or wholesale dealers or farmers or physicians or men with a technical training, the regulations and standards prevailing at such institutions differ from those in a true educational institution, and what in the latter is permitted and even freely held out as often as possible ought to be considered as a criminal offense in the former let me give you an example if you wish to guide a young man on the path of true culture beware of interrupting his naive confident and as it were immediate and personal relationship with nature the woods the rocks the winds the vulture the flowers the butterfly the meads the mountain slopes must all speak to him in their own language in them he must as it were come to know himself again in countless reflections and images and a variegated round of changing visions and in this way he will unconsciously and gradually feel the metaphysical unity of all things in the great image of nature and at the same time tranquillize his soul in the contemplation of her eternal endurance and necessity but how many young men should be permitted to grow up in such close and almost personal proximity to nature the others must learn another truth betimes how to subdue nature to themselves here is an end of this naive metaphysics and the physiology of plants and animals geology and organic chemistry force their devotees to view nature from an altogether different standpoint what is lost by this new point of view is not only a poetical phantasmagoria but the instinctive true and unique point of view instead of which we have shrewd and clever calculations and so to speak overreachings of nature thus to the truly cultured man is vouchsafed the inestimable benefit of being able to remain faithful without a break to the contemplative instincts of his childhood and so to attain to a calmness unity consistency and harmony which can never be even thought of by a man who is compelled to fight in the struggle for existence you must not think however that i wish to withhold all praise from our primary and secondary schools i honor the seminaries where boys learn arithmetic and master modern languages and study geography and the marvelous discoveries made in natural science i am quite prepared to say further that those youths who pass through the better class of secondary schools are well entitled to make the claims put forward by the fully fledged public school boy and the time is certainly not far distant when such pupils will be everywhere freely admitted to the universities and positions under the government which has hitherto been the case only with scholars from the public schools of our present public schools be it noted i cannot however refrain from adding the melancholy reflection if it be true that secondary and public schools are on the whole working so heartily in common towards the same ends and differ from each other only in such a slight degree that they may take equal rank before the tribunal of the state then we completely lack another kind of educational institutions those for the development of culture to say the least the secondary schools cannot be reproached with this for they have up to the present propitiously and honorably followed up tendencies of a lower order, but one nevertheless highly necessary. In the public schools, however, there is very much less honesty and very much less ability too. for in them we find an instinctive feeling of shame, the unconscious perception of the fact that the whole institution has been ignominiously degraded, and that the sonorous words of wise and apathetic teachers are contradictory to the dreary barbaric and sterile reality so there are no true cultural institutions and in those very places where a pretense to culture is still kept up we find the people more hopeless atrophied and discontented than in the secondary schools where the so-called realistic subjects are taught besides this only think how immature and uninformed one must be in the company of such teachers when one actually misunderstands the rigorously defined philosophical expressions real and realism to such a degree as to think them the contraries of mind and matter and to interpret realism as the road to knowledge formation and master of reality i for my own part know of only two exact contraries institutions for teaching culture and institutions for teaching how to succeed in life all our present institutions belong to the second class but i am speaking only of the first about two hours went by while the philosophically minded couple chatted about such startling questions night slowly fell in the meantime and when in the twilight the philosopher's voice had sounded like natural music through the woods it now rang out in the profound darkness of the night when he was speaking with excitement or even passionately his tones hissing and thundering far down the valley and reverberating among the trees and rocks suddenly he was silent he had just repeated almost pathetically the words we have no true educational institutions we have no true educational institutions when something fell down just in front of him it might have been a fir cone And his dog barked and ran towards it thus interrupted the philosopher raised his head and suddenly became aware of the darkness the cool air and the lonely situation of himself and his companion well what are we about he ejaculated it's dark you know whom we were expecting here but he hasn't come we have waited in vain let us go i must now ladies and gentlemen convey to you the impressions experienced by my friend and myself as we eagerly listened to this conversation, which we heard distinctly in our hiding place. I've already told you that at that place and at that hour we had intended to hold a festival in commemoration of something, and this something had to do with nothing else than matters concerning educational training, of which we, in our own youthful opinions, had garnered a plentiful harvest during our past life we were thus disposed to remember with gratitude the institution which we had at one time thought out for ourselves at that very spot in order as i have already mentioned that we might reciprocally encourage and watch over one another's educational impulses but a sudden and unexpected light was thrown on all that past life as we silently gave ourselves up to the vehement words of the philosopher as when a traveller walking heedlessly across unknown ground suddenly puts his foot over the edge of a cliff so it now seemed to us that we had hastened to meet the great danger rather than run away from it here at this spot so memorable to us we heard the warning back not another step know you not whither your footsteps tend whither this deceitful path is luring you it seemed to us that we now knew and our feeling of overflowing thankfulness impelled us so irresistibly towards our earnest counsellor and trusty eckhart that both of us sprang up at the same moment and rushed towards the philosopher to embrace him he was just about to move off and had already turned sideways when we rushed up to him the dog turned sharply round and barked thinking doubtless like the philosopher's companion of an attempt at robbery rather than an enraptured embrace It was plain that he had forgotten us, in a word he ran away. Our embrace was a miserable failure when we did overtake him, for my friend gave a loud yell as the dog bit him, and the philosopher himself sprang away from me with such force that we both fell. Well, with the dog and the men, there was a scramble that lasted a few minutes until my friend began to call out loudly, parodying the philosopher's own words, in the name of all culture and pseudo-culture what does the silly dog want with us hence you confounded dog you uninitiated never to be initiated hasten away from us silent and ashamed after this outburst matters were cleared up to some extent at any rate so far as they could be cleared up in the darkness of the wood oh it's you ejaculated the philosopher our doerless! how you startled us what on earth drives you to jump out Upon us like this at such a time of the night joy thankfulness and reverence said we shaking the old man by the hand whilst the dog barked as if he understood we can't let you go without telling you this and if you are to understand everything you must not go away just yet we want to ask you about so many things that lie heavily on our hearts stay yet a while we know every foot of the way and can accompany you afterwards the gentleman you expect may yet turn up look over yonder on the rhine what is that we see so clearly floating on the surface of the water as if surrounded by the light of many torches it is there that we may look for your friend i would even venture to say that it is he who is coming towards you with all those lights and so much did we assail the surprised old man with our entreaties promises and fantastic delusions that we persuaded the philosopher to walk to and fro with us on the little plateau by learned lumber undisturbed, as my friend added. Shame on you, said the philosopher, if you really want to quote something, why choose Faust? However, I will give in to you, quotation or no quotation, if only our young companions will keep still and not run away as suddenly as they made their appearance, for they are like Will-o'-the-Wisp we are amazed when they are there and again when they are not there my friend immediately recited respect i hope will teach us how we may our lighter disposition keep at bay our course is only zigzag as a rule the philosopher was surprised and stood still you astonish me you will-o'-the-wisp he said this is no quagmire we are on now of what use is this ground to you what does the proximity of a philosopher mean to you for around him the air is sharp and clear the ground dry and hard you must find out a more fantastic region for your zigzagging inclinations i think interrupted the philosopher's companion at this point the gentlemen have already told us that they promised to meet someone here at this hour but it seems to me that they listened to our comedy of education like a chorus and truly idealistic spectators for they did not disturb us We thought we were alone with each other. Yes, that is true, said the philosopher. That praise must not be withheld from them, but it seems to me that they deserve still higher praise. Here I seized the philosopher's hand and said, That man must be as obtuse as a reptile, with his stomach on the ground and his head buried in mud, who can listen to such a discourse as yours without becoming earnest and thoughtful or even excited and indignant self-accusation and annoyance might perhaps cause a few to get angry but our impression was quite different the only thing i do not know is how exactly to describe it this hour was so well timed for us and our minds were so well prepared that we sat there like empty vessels and now it seems as if we were filled to overflowing with this new wisdom for i no longer know how to help myself and if someone asks me what i am thinking of doing to-morrow or what I have made up my mind to do with myself from now on, I should not know what to answer, for it is easy to see that we have up to the present been living and educating ourselves in the wrong way. But what can we do to cross over the chasm between today and tomorrow? Yes, acknowledged my friend, I have a similar feeling, and I ask the same question, but besides that, I feel as if I were frightened away from German culture by entertaining such high and ideal views of its task yea as if i were unworthy to cooperate with it in carrying out its aims only see a resplendent file of the highest natures moving towards this goal i can imagine over what abysses and through what temptations this procession travels who would dare to be so bold as to join in it at this point the philosopher's companion again turned to him and said don't be angry with me when i tell you that i too have a somewhat similar feeling which i have not mentioned to you before when talking to you i often felt drawn out of myself as it were and inspired with your ardor and hopes till i almost forgot myself then a calmer moment arrives a piercing wind of reality brings me back to earth and then i see the wide gulf between us over which you yourself as in a dream draw me back again then what you call culture merely totters meaninglessly round round me or lies heavily on my breast. It is like a shirt of mail that weighs me down, or a sword that I cannot wield. Our minds, as we thus argued with the philosopher, were unanimous and mutually encouraging and stimulating one another. We slowly walked with him backwards and forwards along the unencumbered space which had earlier in the day served us as a shooting range, and then in the still night under the peaceful light of hundreds of stars we all broke out into a tirade which ran somewhat as follows you have told us so much about the genius we began about his lonely and wearisome journey through the world as if nature never exhibited anything but the most diametrical contraries in one place the stupid dull masses acting by instinct and then on a far higher and more remote plane the great contemplating few destined for the production of immortal works but now you call these the apexes of the intellectual pyramid it would however seem that between the broad heavily burdened foundation up to the highest of the free and unencumbered peaks there must be countless intermediate degrees and that here we must apply the saying natura non facet saltus where then are we to look for the beginning of what you call culture where is the line of demarcation to be drawn between the spheres which are ruled from below upwards and those which are ruled from above downwards and if it be only in connection with these exalted beings that true culture may be spoken of how are institutions to be founded for the uncertain existence of such natures how can we devise educational establishments which shall be of benefit only to these select few it rather seems to us that such persons know how to find their own way and that their full strength is shown in their being able to walk without the educational crutches necessary for other people and thus undisturbed to make their way through the storm and stress of this rough world just like a phantom we kept on arguing in this fashion speaking without any great ability and not putting our thoughts in any special form but the philosopher's companion went even further and said to him Just think of all these great geniuses, of whom we are wont to be so proud, looking upon them as tried and true leaders and guides of this real German spirit, whose names we commemorate by statues and festivals, and whose works we hold up with feelings of pride for the admiration of foreign lands. How did they obtain the education you demand for them? To what degree do they show that they have been nourished and matured? By basking in the sun of national education and yet they are seen to be possible they have nevertheless become men whom we must honor yea their works themselves justify the form of the development of these noble spirits they justify even a certain want of education for which we must make allowance owing to their country and the age in which they lived how could lessing and Winckelmann benefit by the german culture of their time even less than, or at all events, just as little as Beethoven, Schiller, Goethe, or every one of our great poets and artists. It may perhaps be a law of nature that only the later generations are destined to know by what divine gifts an earlier generation was favored. At this point the old philosopher could not control his anger and shouted to his companion, "Oh, you innocent lamb of knowledge, you gentle sucking doves, all of you, and would you give the name of arguments to those distorted clumsy narrow-minded ungainly crippled things yes i have just now been listening to the fruits of some of this present-day culture and my ears are still ringing with the sound of historical self-understood things of overwise and pitiless historical reasonings mark this thou unprofaned nature thou hast grown old and for thousands of years this starry sky has spanned the space above thee but thou hast never yet heard such conceited and at bottom mischievous chatter as the talk of the present day so you are proud of your poets and artists my good Teutons, you point to them and brag about them to foreign countries do you and because as has given you no trouble to have them amongst you you have formed the pleasant theory that you need not concern yourselves further with them isn't that so my inexperienced children they come of their own free will the stork brings them to you who would dare to mention a midwife you deserve an earnest teaching eh you should be proud of the fact that all the noble and brilliant men we have mentioned are prematurely suffocated worn out and crushed through you through your barbarism you think without shame of lessing who on account of your stupidity perished in battle against your ludicrous gods and idols the evils of your theaters your learned men and your theologians without once daring to lift himself to the height of that immortal flight for which he was brought into the world and what are your impressions when you think of winkelmann who that he might rid his eyes of your grotesque fatuousness went to beg help from the jesuits and whose disgraceful religious conversion recoils upon you and will always remain an ineffaceable blemish upon you you can even name schiller without blushing just look at his picture the fiery sparkling eyes looking at you with disdain those flushed death-like cheeks can you learn nothing from all that in him you had a beautiful and divine plaything and through it was destroyed and if it had been possible for you to take Goethe's friendship away from this melancholy hasty life hunted to premature death then you would have crushed him even sooner than you did you have not rendered assistance to a single one of our great geniuses and now upon that fact you wish to build up the theory that none of them shall ever be helped in future for each of them however up to this very moment you have always been the resistance of the stupid world that Goethe speaks of in his epilogue to the bell towards each of them you acted the part of apathetic dullards or jealous narrow hearts or malignant egotists in spite of you they created their immortal works against you they directed their attacks and thanks to you they died so prematurely their tasks only half accomplished blunted and dulled and shattered in the battle who can tell to what these heroic men Were destined to attain if only that true german spirit had gathered them together within the protecting walls of a powerful institution that spirit which without the help of some such institution drags out an isolated debased and degraded existence all those great men were utterly ruined and it is only an insane belief in the hegelian reasonableness of all happenings which would absolve you of any responsibility in the matter and not those men alone indictments are pouring forth against you from every intellectual province whether i look at the talents of our poets philosophers painters or sculptors and not only in the case of gifts of the highest order i everywhere see immaturity overstrained nerves or prematurely exhausted energies abilities wasted and nipped in the bud i everywhere feel that resistance Of the stupid world in other words your guiltiness that is what i'm talking about when i speak of lacking educational establishments and why i think those which at present claim the name in such a pitiful condition whoever is pleased to call this an ideal desire and refers to it as ideal as if he were trying to get rid of it by praising me deserves the answer that the present system is a scandal and a disgrace and that the man who asks for warmth in the midst of ice and snow must indeed get angry if he hears this referred to as an ideal desire the matter we are now discussing is concerned with clear urgent and palpably evident realities a man who knows anything of the question feels that there is a need which must be seen to just like cold and hunger but the man who is not affected at all by this matter most certainly has a standard by which to measure the extent of his own culture and thus to know what i call culture and where the line should be drawn between that which is ruled from below upwards and that which is ruled from above downwards the philosopher seemed to be speaking very heatedly we begged him to walk round with us again since he had uttered the latter part of his discourse standing near the tree-stump which had served us as a target for a few minutes not a word more was spoken Slowly and thoughtfully, we walked to and fro, we did not so much feel ashamed of having brought forward such foolish arguments as we felt a kind of restitution of our personality. After the heated and so far as we were concerned very unflattering utterance of the philosopher, we seemed to feel ourselves nearer to him, that we even stood in a personal relationship to him for so wretched is man that he never feels himself brought into such close contact with a stranger as when the latter shows some sign of weakness, some defect, that our philosopher had lost his temper and made use of abusive language, helped to bridge over the gulf created between us by our timid respect for him and for the sake of the reader who feels his indignation rising. At this suggestion let it be added that this bridge often leads from distant hero worshipped a personal love and pity and after the feeling that our personality had been restored to us this pity gradually became stronger and stronger why were we making this old man walk up and down with us between the rocks and trees at that time of the night and since he had yielded to our entreaties why could we not have thought of a more modest and unassuming manner of having ourselves instructed why should the three of us have contradicted him in such clumsy terms for now we saw how thoughtless unprepared and baseless were all the objections we had made and how greatly the echo of the present was heard in them the voice of which in the province of culture the old man would fain not have heard our objections however were not purely intellectual ones our reasons for protesting against the philosopher's statements seemed to lie elsewhere they arose perhaps from the instinctive anxiety to know whether if the philosopher's views were carried into effect our own personalities would find a place in the higher or lower division and this made it necessary for us to find some arguments against the mode of thinking which robbed us of our self styled claims to culture people however should not argue with companions who feel the weight of an argument so personally or as the moral in our case would have been such companion should not argue should not contradict at all so we walked on beside the philosopher ashamed compassionate dissatisfied with ourselves and more than ever convinced that the old man was right and that we had done him wrong how remote now seemed the youthful dream of our educational institution how clearly we saw the danger which we had hitherto escaped merely by good luck namely giving ourselves up body and soul to the educational system which forced itself upon our notice so enticingly from the time when we entered the public schools up to that moment how then had it come about that we had not taken our places in the chorus of its admirers perhaps merely because we were real students and could still draw back from the rough-and-tumble the pushing and struggling the restless ever-breaking waves of publicity to seek refuge in our own little educational establishment which however time would have soon swallowed up also overcome by such reflections we were about to address the philosopher again when he suddenly turned towards us and said in a softer tone i cannot be surprised if you young men behave rashly and thoughtlessly for it is hardly likely that you have ever seriously considered what i have just said to you don't be in a hurry carry this question about with you but do at any rate consider it day and night for you are now at the parting of the ways and now you know where each path leads if you take the one your age will receive you with open arms you will not find it wanting in honours and decorations you will form units of an enormous rank and file and there will be as many people like-minded standing behind you as in front of you and when the leader gives the word it will be re-echoed from rank to rank for here your first duty is this to fight in rank and file and your second to annihilate all those who refuse to form part of the rank and file on the other path you will have but few fellow travelers it is more arduous winding and precipitous and those who take the first path will mock you for your progress is more wearisome and they will try to lure you over into their own ranks when the two paths happen to cross however you will be roughly handled and thrust aside or else shunned and isolated now take these two parties so different from each other in every respect and tell me what meaning an educational establishment would have for them that enormous horde crowding onwards on the first path towards its goal would take the turn to mean an institution by which each of its members would become duly qualified to take his place in the rank and file and would be purged of everything which might tend to make him strive after higher and more remote aims i don't deny of course that they can find pompous words with which to describe their aims for example they speak of the universal development of free personality upon a firm social national and human basis or they announce as their goal the founding of the peaceful sovereignty of the people upon reason education and justice an educational establishment For the other and smaller company, however, would be something vastly different. They would employ it to prevent themselves from being separated from one another and overwhelmed by the first huge crowd, to prevent their few select spirits from losing sight of their splendid and noble task through premature weariness or from being turned aside from the true path, corrupted or subverted. These select spirits must complete their work, that is the raison d'etre of their common institution a work indeed which as it were must be free from subjective traces and must further rise above the transient events of future times as the pure reflection of the eternal and immutable essence of things and all those who occupy places in that institution must co in the endeavour to engender men of genius by this purification from subjectiveness And the creation of the works of genius not a few even of those whose talents may be of the second or third order are suited to such cooperation and only when serving in such an educational establishment as this do they feel that they are truly carrying out their life's task but now it is just these talents i speak of which are drawn away from the true path and their instincts exchanged by the continual seductions of that modern culture the egotistic emotions weaknesses and vanities of these few select minds are continually assailed by the temptations unceasingly murmured into their ears by the spirit of the age come with me there you are servants retainers tools eclipsed by higher natures your own peculiar characteristics never have free play you are tied down chained down like slaves yea like automata here with me you will enjoy the freedom of your own personalities as masters should your talents will cast their luster on yourselves alone with their aid you may come to the very front rank an innumerable train of followers will accompany you and the applause of public opinion will yield you more pleasure than a nobly bestowed commendation from the height of genius even the very best of men now yield to these temptations and it cannot be said that the deciding factor here is the degree of talent or whether a man is accessible to these voices or not but rather the degree and the height of a certain moral sublimity the instinct towards heroism towards sacrifice and finally a positive habitual need of culture prepared by a proper kind of education which education as i have previously said is first and foremost obedience and submission to the discipline of genius. Of this discipline and submission, however, the present institutions, called by courtesy educational establishments, know nothing whatever, although I have no doubt that the public school was originally intended to be an institution for sowing the seeds of true culture, or at least as a preparation for it i have no doubt either that they took the first bold steps in the wonderful and stirring times of the reformation and that afterwards in the era which gave birth to schiller and goethe there was again a growing demand for culture like the first protuberance of that wing spoken of by plato in the phaedrus which at every contact with the beautiful bears the soul aloft into the upper regions the habitations of the gods ah began the philosopher's companion when you quote the divine plato in the world of ideas i do not think you are angry with me however much my previous utterance may have merited your disapproval and wrath as soon as you speak of it i feel that platonic wing rising within me and it is only at intervals when i act as the charioteer of my soul that i have any difficulty with the resisting and unwilling horse that plato has also described to us the crooked lumbering animal put together anyhow with a short thick neck flat-faced and of a dark colour with grey eyes and blood-red complexion the mate of insolence and pride shag-eared and deaf hardly yielding to whip or spur just think how long i have lived at a distance from you and how all those temptations you speak of have endeavoured to lure me away not perhaps without some success even though i myself may not have observed it i now see more clearly than ever the necessity for an institution which will enable us to live and mix freely with the few men of true culture so that we may have them as our leaders and guiding stars how greatly i feel the danger of traveling alone and when it occurred to me that i could save myself by flight from all contact with the spirit of the time i found that this flight itself was a mere delusion continuously with every breath we take some amount of that atmosphere circulates through every vein and artery and no solitude is lonesome or distant enough for us to be out of reach of its fogs and clouds whether in the guise of hope doubt profit or virtue the shades of that culture hover about us and we have been deceived by that jugglery even here in the presence of a true hermit of culture how steadfastly and faithfully Must the few followers of that culture which might almost be called sectarian be ever on the alert how they must strengthen and uphold one another how adversely would any errors be criticized here and how sympathetically excused and thus teacher i ask you to pardon me after you have labored so earnestly to set me in the right path you use a language which i do not care for my friend said the philosopher and one which reminds me of a diocesan conference with that i have nothing to do but your platonic horse pleases me and on its account you shall be forgiven i am willing to exchange my own animal for yours but it is getting chilly and i don't feel inclined to walk about any more just now the friend i was waiting for is indeed foolish enough to come up here even at midnight if he promised to do so but i have waited in vain for the signal agreed upon and i cannot guess what has delayed him for as a rule he is punctual as we old men are wont to be something that you young men nowadays look upon as old-fashioned but he has left me in the lurch for once how annoying it is come away with me it's time to go at this moment something happened end of section seven